Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks for Monday, October 7th, 2019. It is Jay Zawoski, host of Locked On Blackhawks. Obviously, who else would it be talking to you on Locked On Blackhawks? That's kind of a weird way for me to start the show. All right, good start. That was about as good of a start to the podcast as the Blackhawks had to the season, losing 4-3 to the Flyers on Friday. Of course, we're going to get into all of that. We've got your Mailbag Monday questions to answer as well. Thank you guys for answering the bell and sending in lots of great questions. But first, let me tell you how to get in touch with the podcast. Obviously, you found us with your podcast provider. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. We're on all those great podcast providers. Uh, we just got posted onto Pocket Cast. I know some people had some trouble finding us initially, but we are there. You can send me an email, lockedonblackhawks at gmail.com, or, of course, leave a voicemail at 708 653 0572 7086530572 have not gotten a voicemail yet. I don't know if you guys are a little bit shy about having your voice in the podcast. It's going to make it sound good. It's going to break up my voice in the podcast, which is really what all anybody wants. So leave us a voicemail. Really appreciate it. 708-653-0572. Follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks. Follow me on Twitter at Jayzawaski670. You can also follow the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, my other Hawks podcast there, at Madhouse Pot. All right, let's get right to it. Game felt like a long time ago, right? Friday afternoon, you might have been at work. You probably came home, watched the game on DVR, or found a bar to watch it on your lunch break. Um, but it feels like a lifetime ago. Next game feels like a lifetime away. They don't play until Thursday, the home opener against the Sharks. So let's get into the positives and negatives of the Blackhawks' first game of the season a 4-3 loss to the Philadelphia Flyers. And as this podcast goes on, you guys are going to find that I'm more of a positive guy than a negative guy. I'm more glass half full than half empty. So I've got kind of an equal number of good and bad things to discuss with you on Lockdown Blackhawks. The first positive, scoring his first goal of the season and the Blackhawks' first goal of the season, Alex Nylander, who started the game on the top line with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, Got a nice puck right in the neutral zone, took it right down the middle, made a nice move, and put it right between the legs of the defender behind Carter Hart to give the Hawks a 1-0 lead. And look, offense has never been a big concern with Alex Nylander. That's a fact. We all know the guy can score. We all know that he can create offense. That's never been an issue. But what I liked about that play was the fact that he took the puck streaked confidently down the middle of the ice and kept going to the middle. He didn't try to peel off. He didn't try to pass. He aggressively took the puck and made an aggressive offensive play in the middle of the slot, and I like that. That's what I like to see from Alex Nylander. Another guy I think had a pretty strong game, Andrew Shaw. Now, he did take a bad cross-checking penalty, but he's defending Alex Zabrinkit first and foremost and that little scrum in the slot. And they should have been offsetting penalties. Shaw got punched in the face for the cross-check he threw, and it wasn't an egregious cross-check. It was a get-off-my-guy kind of a cross-check. So didn't love that call, but it got called. It was a cross-check. But Andrew Shaw did all the Andrew Shaw things that you brought him in to do. He created havoc in front of the net. He was finishing checks. He was winning races into the corners and into the boards, winning pucks. He broke up a play at center ice to spring a goal the other way. I think Andrew Shaw had a really solid game start to finish. Uh, he had some many hits. He screened the last Blackhawks goal, the Patrick King goal. If not for him, they probably would not have scored there. He uh, was a plus one, if you still value such statistics. Credited with two shots on goal. 
uh, in a hit. He was also one and one at the faceoff dot. Didn't take too many faceoffs, obviously. Um, so good game for Andrew Shaw. Alex Debrinkin scored an absolutely beautiful goal set up from Patrick Kane. Just a roof shot, one-timer type thing. He had five shots on goal, four more shot attempts. So there's Alex Debrinkit stirring up the offense, creating chances, creating shots. That's the guy you paid. You know, you extended his deal three years, $6.4 million. He has not missed a beat. Came right in, and he was probably, aside from Patrick Kane, the most effective offensive player on the ice for the Blackhawks. Now, Patrick Kane, how about this? 21-28 of ice time. He only had two shots on goal, but he had a goal and two assists, three points in the first game of the season for Patrick Kane. That's <laughs> it's like you look up at the end of the game and you look at the score sheet, and there's Patrick Kane with three points. It's uh, it's really it's something. So you know, 82 times three is 246. So Patrick Kane on pace for 246 points this year. Come on, that's pretty good, right? You can't be too. Uh, upset about that so Patrick Kane continues to be Patrick Kane and one thing I think bears mentioning is uh you know when you watch Patrick Kane he's such a smart player he's such a uh thinks ahead all the time it's like he sees things two or three plays before they happen this game why if you go back and want to watch this game again for some reason watch Patrick Kane watch the way he plays he's so smart he knows what's coming he knows what's going and that's, I think, one, aside from his elite skill, he's developed the intelligence of his game. So as he's now 31 years old and the physical part of his skills will start to decline a little bit, that mental part of the game has caught up. And uh, soon you'll see, um, you know, maybe maybe it'll surpass his physical skills. But look, it's sort of evening out at this point. He's coming off his best year as a pro last season. So uh, those are the positives. I think you look at the score sheet too. Eric Gustafson played almost 26 minutes. I don't think he'll do that when Calvin DeHaan returns, but he had two assists of his own. Duncan Keith, who we'll get to in the next portion, uh, had an assist as well. So, um, you know, not a great start. And I think a lot of the things we saw in this loss were very reminiscent of the things we saw that were the shortcomings for the Blackhawks last year. So that brings us to the negatives of the game. I don't think Duncan Keith looked very good. He got turned around on that second connect knee goal. Um, just didn't look fast or as fast as usual. Um, you know, ideally, you don't want to play him 24 minutes a night anymore. And like I just said with Gustafson, you're probably not going to see Keith play that often when you get Calvin DeHaan back and Connor Murphy back. You'll probably see a more even spread of the minutes of the defenseman. But just was not a big fan of Duncan Keith's game at all. Uh, I, I think he had a, a pretty poor start to the season. Corey Crawford, who made some saves he had no business making, gave up a few that really he should have stopped. I think the first goal uh, after off the Dennis Gilbert turnover, he could have played a little better, could have come out of his crease a little more and cut down an angle. Even still, he should have stopped that shot. It wasn't a very challenging shot. You'd like to see him get in the way and get the glove on that one. The wraparound goal by Raffle was – he just didn't even see it until the puck was in the back of the net – almost as if Corey Crawford didn't know that a wraparound was an option. Um, just not a not a very good game from him. The other thing that was abysmal for the Blackhawks was their faceoff percentage, 38% for the game. Jonathan Taves with eight wins and 14 losses, that's 36%. David Kampf, nine wins, I'm sorry, four wins and nine losses, that's 31%. Dylan Strom was the best of the bunch, winning five and losing six, that's 45%. 
Zach Smith, one win, three losses. That's 25%. And Ryan Carpenter uh, was three for three. Actually, he was the best. Three wins, three losses for a 50% faceoff total. That's not good. And I think a couple years ago, a study came out that said faceoff wins are really not that important. But for a team that was struggling to get possession of the puck throughout the entire game, winning those faceoffs gets the puck to you and lets you activate the offense. And that's where the Hawks thrive. Look, they improve their defense, but they're still going to probably have to win games by outscoring people. If you don't have the puck, you can't outscore people. And winning faceoffs is a really, really solid way to get the puck. Uh, one more positive, by the way, I failed to mention, and I, I have to start with this in the negatives category. Dennis Gilbert, after that brutal first period turnover, sort of whiffs on a clearing pass, recovers, but then kind of panics, turns the puck over to Konechny, and then it's one nothing. Uh, Philly, I think Gilbert sort of bounced back nicely after that play. A couple block shots, a couple nice physical plays, a couple good reads defensively. I think he did, especially for a young defenseman playing in his second NHL game on Friday, to bounce back from a, from a mistake that was that critical, I think was encouraging. So I want to give Dennis Gilbert a positive and a negative for his performance in the opening game, but good to see him turn it around. So I think overall, a positive experience for Dennis Gilbert, who, by the way, was sent back to Rockford this past weekend. So it looks like Calvin DeHaan or Connor Murphy, hopefully both, will be ready to go when the Hawks drop the puck for the first time at the United Center on Thursday. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I've had a long day or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and like I said, discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash locked and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash locked to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash locked for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash locked. That brings us to the mailbag segment of Locked On Blackhawks. Again, if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. Of course, you can always find us on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks or send us a voicemail 708-653-0572, 708-653-0572. First email, I'm actually going to combine them because Bob Lands and Travis Barker have some similar questions. So first, Bob asks, when does letting prospects play, even if they screw up, take precedent? Boquist can screw up as bad as Gilbert did, and is Doc not better than half this roster already? Travis adds, What's the, what is the downside of keeping to keeping Doc in the NHL? If he can't go to the AHL and he has already done everything he can in juniors, why not put him on the third line and on the second power play? What is the actual difference in the standings between him and the current 12 forward, whoever you might think that might be? I don't think it'll be the difference in making the playoffs or not. Do you think it stunts his development? I don't think calling young players up to 
learn in the NHL is a bad idea. And I know that when Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook began their NHL careers, a lot of hockey fans had sort of tuned out the Blackhawks. Things were really bad. And there was no reason really to watch the Blackhawks when those two guys began their careers. But I'll tell you, their first few seasons were not good. There were a lot of mistakes. There were points where Duncan Keith didn't look like he belonged in the NHL. Especially defensemen take time to develop. But what I've seen from Boquist so far looks better than anything I saw from Keith or Seabrook in their first few years. Now, look, I'm not saying that Adam Boquist is going to grow to be better than either of those guys. I'm not saying he's not. But so far, the indications seem to show that Adam Boquist, if he came to the NHL level, would have some success. Yes, of course, there would be mistakes. There would be things that you'd want back. There'll be things he does that leads to opponent goals. But realistically, this team is not going to win the Stanley Cup this year. And are you telling me that you truly believe the Blackhawks are better with Slater Cuckoo in the lineup? Just sort of giving you replacement level or slightly below defensive play. You're, you truly think you're better off with him than with Adam Boquist. I, I don't buy that. And I know you've got an accident-prone defenseman and Eric Gustafson as well. But there's ways to protect these guys. There's ways to keep them in situations where they won't be exposed so badly. Especially at home. You can you get the last line change. So you can cherry-pick the matchups. Cherry-pick their opponents. Cherry-pick their zone starts. There's ways to get these guys protected a little bit. And I don't think a guy like Adam Boquist, if he makes a mistake is going to really lose a ton of confidence. He is a supremely confident player. And he knows that mistakes are going to happen. He seems very at peace with that. I'd rather see him up here making one costly mistake a week or two costly mistakes a week, but improving the power play and improving the team's offense in general and the team's speed in general than having a guy who might make one less mistake a week and not really do anything else to improve your team. And I think the same thing goes with Kirby Doc. You're telling me right now you wouldn't rather have Kirby Doc than David Camp? And Camp's a nice player. He's fine. He's But he's so replaceable. He did terrible at the faceoff dot, so he can't give me that argument. I think Camp is a nice depth player. I think on a really good team, he's your 13th or 14th forward. Nothing about his game tells me he can't be scratched for Kirby Doc. And what about Doc is going, like, what's going to go wrong with Kirby Doc? Is he going to come and get physically dominated? No. Sure, he might have to learn from some mistakes as well. But you put him up front on the third line, and you play him on that second power play, like Travis suggested, and you let him use his natural ability. Going back to junior, sure, he'll play more minutes in junior right? And he'll play in all situations in junior. Great. That's fine. But the competition isn't close to what it is in the NHL. I think that when Doc is healthy, he should play. I think they should get Boquist up here sooner than later. Um, and and look, if they screw up on the job, they screw up on the job. And Thomas DeCaro also has a question, how soon do you think Boquist will get called up? And which defenseman do you think it's sent down? I don't know how soon it will be. Last year, the whole thing with Henry Yokoharu was a little confusing to me. Now, of course, we found out they weren't super high on him organizationally. We know they are on Boquist. 
whoever gets sent down is going to have to get waived. It's probably going to be Slater Cuckoo. They're going to have to wave Slater Cuckoo to call him up. Maybe that's another part of the reason they're hesitant. But uh, I think Boquist really, really belongs up here. Um, and it's it's time. I know. Look, if you want to take some time and get him some AHL experience and let him see some pro style NHL style um, offenses to to adjust to, that's great. You don't have that luxury with Doc. It's either Chicago or Saskatoon, and uh, I'd say let him learn on the job here. All right. Next email comes from Scott Walton. He says, "What if Gustafson regresses to around forty points? Let's say he puts up seven goals, thirty one assists, and remains questionable." but shows some improvement in his own end. Is the organization happy enough with that? Is that pace enough to keep Boquist and Rockford? And Boquist is a very common theme of these emails. Um, I don't know if Gustafson and if Gustafson's success and Boquist and Rockford really correspond. The only thing would be, like I mentioned earlier, they're afraid to have two accident-prone defensemen on the roster at the same time. It's a valid complaint to have. It's a valid concern to have, but I think that um, you're better with both those guys despite their ability to sometimes make a mistake. We continue the mailbag segment here on Locked on Blackhawks, your daily Blackhawks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks and send us an email, LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. And please leave us voicemails, 708-653-0572. Next question comes from Zach Anderson. He says, what do you think the Hawks need to do to cut these high danger chances down? We have two elite goalies, but from what I've seen, we do have too many prime scoring chances. Well, if you look back on the game on Friday, most of the goals the Flyers scored were not high danger chances. One was a bad turnover. One was your defenseman Duncan Keith getting burned. One was um, Corey Crawford not being aware of a wraparound. You know, the high danger chances are going to come in, in games. I don't feel like the Hawks gave up at too many of those. There were a few, but those are going to happen in games. I think what you need to do is have your uh, goalie play better than Corey Crawford did on Friday. And look, I for those that listen to the Madhouse podcast, I've been a Corey Crawford defender for years because nothing bothered me more than the people in Chicago who hated Corey Crawford and thought he sucked, and they always wanted Scott Darling or Ray Emery or whoever else to play instead of him, Corey Crawford was your best goalie. But right now, I'm not so sure that's the case. He's 36 years old. He's got a long history of injuries. And if he plays more games like he played on Friday, it might not be long before Robin Leonard jumps over him in the depth chart. Now we need to see what Robin Leonard has. Coming to a new team that's more defensively challenged than the Islanders were, it's going to be an adjustment. And I think to expect... Robin Leonard to give you Vezina level goaltending again is probably a little bit far-fetched, but I think right now he might be better than Corey Crawford. And look, it's foolish for any of us to draw any grand conclusions from what happened on Friday, right? It's one game. It's the first game of the season. There's a lot of new parts to this team. You know, you look at their lineup, you've got Ryan Carpenter, Zach Smith, uh, Alex Nylander is new. Dominic Kubalik is new. Uh, there's so many new players on this roster this year, and it takes time for those guys to gel. You were also without two of your more dependable defenders in Calvin DeHaan and Connor Murphy. Those are two of the guys on this roster I trust the most to defend, and they weren't there. Instead, you had Slater Cuckoo, who is in an ideal world a 7 or 8, and you had Dennis Gilbert playing his second game in the NHL. So, Obviously, 
help is coming, but the goaltending needs to be better. And I don't know how long of a leash um, Jeremy Cowton is going to have with Corey Crawford. It'll be very interesting to see who gets to start on Thursday at the United Center. I would assume it's going to be Crawford, just as sort of the tip of the hat to the veteran, the home opener, all that stuff. But who knows? This is sort of my big question about Cowton all year is will he have the nerve to say to a guy who's won two Stanley Cups in Crawford's case or three Stanley Cups in Brent Seabrook's case, look, you're out. You're a detriment to the team right now, and I can't justify playing you, and we have better better options. That's the one big question I have about Jeremy Cowton. Will he be able to do that? Will he be willing to do that? And uh, what sort of impact will that have on the whole team? Look, Brent Seabrook is the vocal leader of the team. He is undoubtedly the guy, the straw that stirs the drink, I guess you would say. He's the guy on the ice sort of directing traffic before faceoffs and during play. He's the quarterback of the team. He knows where everyone's supposed to be in every play, but his legs are so far behind his mind now. I love Brent Seabrook, one of my favorite Blackhawks ever, but the reality is the decline is hugely underway, and if he becomes a problem... They're going to have to do something about it. By the way, I thought him and Olimata were the two best Blackhawks on Friday on defense. I thought they they played very well as a pair, and they had the entire preseason. So, so far, so good with those two. They got a bunch of defensive zone starts, too, and did well. So, pretty pleased with what I've seen from Seabrook and Mata so far. So, hopefully, that's not a question Kelton's going to have to answer or be forced to answer. Next question from Carter Gantz is about Brent Seabrook, actually. Carter says... The last year of Seabrook's contract, 23-24, when he is 38 years old, we can probably buy the rest of it out. But if he's truly a liability on the ice, when he's 37 years old, do you see the Blackhawks potentially healthy scratching him for significant portions of the season? How do you see the end years of his contract playing out, and what realistic options are there to minimize the damage, including just eating the cap loss? We just sort of talked about the healthy scratching thing. Now, Carter brings up a different thing. Instead of like this game you're scratched, Carter's talking about large portions of the year where Seabrook almost becomes the seventh defenseman. I, if I'm predicting things, I think we find the Hawks find a creative way for him to retire, just like they kind of did with Marion Hosa. Even though the Hosa thing is legit, the skin condition is legit. I think something like that similar. They could probably find with Brent Seabrook if they wanted to, a long-term injured reserve sort of a situation um, because they know in three or four years they they can't. They just can't play him. And if he retires, uh, it's not great. So um, I, they don't have a ton of options. Now the expansion draft for Seattle comes up in June of 2021, but Seabrook has a no-movement clause. So unless he agreed to go to Seattle or agreed to be made available, the Hawks wouldn't be able to put to expose him to the expansion draft. The other tiny little hope is that the collective bargaining agreement expires after the 2021-22 season. Maybe something gets negotiated into the new CBA that gives teams a little more flexibility about getting guys with bad contracts off the team. And you could say like, well, you know, but he signed a deal when the rules were different. That's true. But Marion Hosa, Roberto Luongo, and all the guys that signed those long deals before the CBA changed had to adapt to the new rules. There's no grandfathering in of rules, at least last time they did this. So if they create some sort of new 
um, buyout relief system or whatever, maybe the Hawks can take advantage of that. But whatever it's going to be, it's not going to be a, a pretty situation. They're going to need to find a way. I don't know if you can get another. If you can get another. If you can get this year and next of Brent Seabrook playing decently, like maybe number five or number six level defense. I don't want to say it's a miracle, but you'll take it. You'll definitely take that and then sort of figure out what to do from there because that's when that CBA expires. And, uh, boy, I don't know. I think that is the greatest hope. That's the best hope for the Blackhawks is that something in that collective bargaining agreement changes so they can make a move that way. Got an email here from Frank in North Central Arkansas. More of a comment than a question, but he says, hard to believe that with all the focus and attention given to the improving Hawks defensively, that things could get much worse on the penalty kill than last season. Injuries and aged old defensemen could still play a factor in what should be an improved unit. I agree. And I think adding in Calvin DeHaan here, who is uh, 27, 28, and Ole Mata, even though he's not fast, he's only 25. I think those guys over the big picture are going to improve the penalty kill. The penalty kill did not look good the other night, Friday afternoon, rather, against Philly. It just didn't. Hopefully when they're fully healthy and they've got their top six defensemen and maybe when Adam Boquist is here, they'll trust him on the penalty kill. I doubt it, but it'd be nice to have someone with some speed who can win a puck and and clear it. You would think the penalty kill will be better just because the personnel is better. It remains to be seen through one whole whopping game, but I do think over the long run, look, it can't get worse. The Hawks had the worst penalty kill in the NHL last season. Um, so it can't get worse than it's been. I think if it, if you get the penalty kill to middle of the road or maybe slightly underneath, I think the offense will be good enough to overcome that. Look, they had the worst penalty kill in the league last year, the second worst defense in the league last year. They had horrible goaltending last year, and they missed the playoff by six points. So I don't think it's a stretch to say the team D and the penalty kill will be improved just simply because the personnel is improved. But Again, we got this game on Friday and then no other games now until Thursday. We're just going to have to ruminate on this crappy loss from Friday for this whole week. It kind of sucks. We need another game here. And I know <laughs> the travel to Prague is is demanding on the players. And I'm being selfish here. Selfishly, I want more hockey to watch uh, that features the team I care about. But, um, man, it's it's tough to take a loss like that and then have to wait that long to play again it's just like the Chicago Bears loss to the Raiders a brutal loss a game they didn't play well in except for one quarter on Sunday now it's the bye week so it's a two-week wait to get that bad taste out of your mouth for Bears fans make sure you listen to Locked on Bears by the way too Locked on Bulls Locked on Blackhawks there's all sort of every team in Chicago is represented by the Locked on Podcast Network so make sure you check those out too but yeah having to wait after a bad loss especially one early in the season, and especially the first game of the season, it's it's brutal to wait for. But it'll be here before we know it, so hopefully we can get through it. Hopefully some news happens this week for us to react to. But I do want to thank everybody for their great emails, for their great feedback for Mailbag Monday. Made it very easy for me to do. I was a little worried earlier in the week because we weren't getting much feedback, but as soon as I begged and whined, you guys came through. I appreciate that. Again, if you want to participate and Mailbag Mondays, LockedOnBlackHawks at gmail.com. Send a voicemail, 708-653-0572, 708-653-0572. Get in touch with us on Twitter, 
at LO underscore Blackhawks, or follow me personally on Twitter at jzawoski670. We do have one more Central Division preview to get to. We'll do that on Tuesday's show with Ryan S. Clark of The Athletic. He covers the Colorado Avalanche, and I think he gave us one of the best guarding reports we've had all season. So Tuesday, we'll play that interview with Ryan S. Clark and wrap up our Central Division previews. We'll be back with you on Tuesday morning for the next Lockdown Blackhawks. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks with Jay Zawoski on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.